0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Author Monty Schultz, son of the late Peanuts creator Charles M. Schultz, has penned his sixth novel with the fiction war epic Metropolis. We discuss why the novel took him 22 years to write, and we set the record straight about his father who created beloved characters like Charlie Brown and Snoopy. Hey, Monty Schultz, hey, thank you so much for joining us on WTOP in Washington, D.C.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Although I'm in California, but not in DC. But yeah, the miracle of uh, transcontinental communications.
0: Yes. Where'd you say we're talking to you from? California? Santa Barbara, California. Yep. Santa Barbara. Wow. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us cross country here. (laughs) Of course, um, you know, we should tell everyone the son of the legendary late Charles M. Schultz, the Peanuts creator. But you, sir, have have created quite the uh, career of your own here as as an author. Um, And we're talking about... Um, I believe it's your sixth novel. Uh, it's called Metropolis. Um, so, um, you and I know what it's about, but just, uh, for our listeners who maybe are just joining on here, and have no idea what it's about. Give them, give them the basic premise here of this sort of dystopian love war story here we got going on. It's, uh, the
1: story of a college student, Julian Bream in his senior year at, uh, Thayer College, uh, Thayer Hall at, at Regency College. And, um. He is matriculating in against the backdrop of a 60-year eugenics war uh, taking place in what they call the desolation, um, which would be, in reality, I guess it would be like Eastern Europe and uh, uh, Germany or whatever like that. Uh, and and um, he meets a, a young revolutionary named Nina Rinaldi with a feisty uh, sister and uh, becomes he's made aware of what is actually going on in this Republic. It's very old and has made it. The Republic has made a decision about a hundred years before Julian's book, before the action of this book uh, to get rid of the people they don't like in the Republic, the infirm, the feeble-minded, the sociopathic, the ignorant thinking it's going to improve the society when in fact it it drags them down into a morass of dystopian
0: horror. Wow. And so, and what's the phrase you use for that? Uh, not a Holocaust. You said eugen- a eugenics war. It's a
1: eugenics war. So, so, um, and it's very unusual. So the war in the Soviet union in the forties with Nazi Germany was essentially a eugenics war killing everybody that they thought they thought they're all subhuman to make room for the German people. Layman's realm. Um, we see, let's say the TV show last of us, it's a, it's a fungus, uh, apocalypse. Um, I'm watching a version of War of the Worlds where it's an alien invasion killing everybody. We've had uh, pandemics. uh, But what we don't talk about are this book is really unusual in that it's a eugenics war. And eugenics is more dangerous than genocide because genocide targets a certain group. Eugenics targets anybody you don't like, Hmm. you name them as inferior and uh that's sort of the premise of this book is yeah. julian starts to understand he's not ignorant of the war because it's been going on his entire life but to actually see what it actually means uh both above and below the city is a, is what they call undercity, uh where uh, refugees from the, the first uh, what they call the great separation uh where many of them went a million went into the eastern trap hinterlands but uh some went underneath so um Anyway, that's the world. It's a a love story. It's an adventure novel. It's a war novel. It's a a mystery. It's a philosophical uh, exercise on eugenics and love and the purpose of morality. That's what the book is about, Metropolis.
0: Wow. And you mentioned that they go to this undercity beneath the metropolis. Of course, I... I as a as a movie buff, I remember that you know the the Fritz Lang silent <laughs> movie from 1927, Metropolis, and they're sort of yeah. an above ground and below ground. Were you inspired by that at all? Were you aware of that? You know what I mean? Any any echoes? Uh
1: aware of it, but only tangentially and not inspired by it at all. I just made my mind up completely. It's more it's more inspired by um other things I've read, other books I've read. Uh but um Basically, my idea. I, I think the biggest inspiration was um, eugenics and the idea of it.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And what was uh, what was the inspiration, or what? Why? Why did you? Do you think you you picked someone to make the main character a a, a college senior? You know, <laughs> is it just sort of the idea of? In those I mean, in college is when we start I guess people sort of wake up and become politically minded, or is it the idea that you could do this young love with the Nina Rinaldi character who's this revolutionary political activist um uh, fighting the authoritarian regime like was it just sort of like the the young burgeoning blooming of of someone waking up to the world around him, or why'd you pick sort of a college student
1: uh okay, here's the honest truth. the first file uh I found my old um Macintosh iBook about three months ago, or two months ago, actually, and, I, and I, I I was able to plug it in, charge up, and found the original save file for this book, yeah. which had the first 50 pages of the interview, and it was from June 11th, 2001. Wow. So I'm telling you this because the truth is I don't remember the genesis of this book. Sure. It was a long time <laughs> 22 years ago now, and so I, I'm i guessing that I it's a first-person narrative, which I'd never written in before. And I think I just probably wanted to do something different, have a different kind of character. Um, my uh, In my previous book, my 20s book, um, Crossing Eden, there's a businessman who's probably in his late 30s. His wife is in her 30s uh, in her narrative. And then there's a, a, a teenage farm boy, sort of ignorant farm boy. And so maybe this time I've got a character who's – educated but not fully formed yet and then I was able to have uh I think I think also I was inspired by having a novel set at a college as well mm-hmm. okay so I wanted so I have a copy of um the Cal Berkeley 1890 I think it's from 1898 um and sort of see what the colleges were like back then all the, and I got a lot of expressions and words and names of people from that uh from that yearbook so it's sort of recreating that period in a sense, um, even though this book has its own time period, it's it's sort of like that. Uh, so I think that's that was the, that was sort of the inspiration. It, it look books books have a lot of inspirations, and and they're sort of all taken together, you know, in a kaleidoscope of of thoughts and ideas and directions. So that's the idea, I Amazon. think.
0: Absolutely. And you're t- like you're so you're saying just to clarify for our listeners, it's you know, you're pulling for these inspirations. But the the actual metropolis is not a particular I mean, you mentioned Soviet Union, you know, you mentioned a lot of real world things. But but in the actual book, this metropolis is a fully fictional um, land that you've created. Right. OK,
1: so I started this book and I wrote on the the, the next uh, the next save file was from 2003. And then I never wrote on it again. Um, And the problem for me was I couldn't figure out uh, how Julian could be studying the Romans and the Greeks in a fictional republic. I also couldn't figure out um, the geography of the book. Like, where is it taking place? And where is the Mediterranean and everything? then I realized in the spring of 2019 uh, regarding uh, how he can study Greeks and Romans in a fictional republic, uh, to paraphrase Ray Bradbury, because I say it so. Okay, and uh, and then I realized that this republic, what it really is, is I have a friend from UC Santa Barbara who, when I described the book to him while he was writing, he said, it's, he told me it's as though history bifurcated uh, 1,500 years ago and created this republic. So the republic is actually geographically, it'd be where France is. The metropolis is where Paris is. The Holy River of Bourne is what we know as the Seine um okay. and then the hinterlands, lands the eastern provinces would be germany eastern europe and then going on into russia uh so the rivers are named differently and uh, as towns There's multicultural influences on this uh but that's the and then then the whole book made sense to me what they call the southern sea here is the mediterranean for us and where the book opens in uh, with julian and his um and his roommate Freddie go out on a spring holiday to Saint Etienne shores. That would be Western France and the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, so then the book made sense to me. right. And then I wrote the whole thing in nine months. After that, I wrote the whole thing from August till August two thousand nineteen till uh, uh, April two thousand
0: twenty. Wow. So you uh, started you, you the original draft that you said you found went back and found the original file was in two thousand one. Yes. Oh my gosh. So over. I 20 know. Years. I know. Wow. Right. Right. So. I know. so
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: So you're so, you're this idea is just dating like right around the time of nine eleven. That's how long ago it is. And then only in recent years, twenty nineteen to present, then then it really all gelled and you knocked it out relatively quick at that point.
1: Uh but I had so what I had was I had the first fifty pages and then I had fragments of notes. Some I added during the years. Now and then I thought of this, oh, that would go in there somehow. And um, but I never worked on the book until 2019. And and then it all kind of made sense to me. And then I had an interesting writing schedule where I, to make myself write, I'd gone over to Hawaii to work on another book. And then I I got the idea for this book. Um, And by the way, while I was writing this, I mean, I was writing my other books. I was editing and publishing other books. So I never came back to Metropolis. I even forgot that it was written in first person. I was thinking about writing another book a different kind of book and thinking, well, what can I write? I mean, how do I, what's a good first person voice? And then I thought of James Jones' novel, Merry Month of May, and I opened it. As I opened it, I realized, wait a second, wait a second. Metropolis, I looked at Metropolis. Oh, that's a first person voice. Oh, I rewrite writing first person? Oh, okay. So <laughs> I, know how to, I know how to do this. And uh, uh, so, and then my writing schedule was, once it started going, write at least one page every morning before I eat or drink anything. Okay, I had to do that, and I kept and I could write whatever in the afternoon after I ate, and which I did, wrote several pages in the afternoon. But I had to write that one page, and I in nine months I only missed three mornings, and it, it was because I was out of town. Uh, so that got a 668-page novel written in nine months, minus that 50 pages, so we're still talking about 600 about 620 pages in nine months. I wrote the whole thing, no plot no outline i mean oh you got the book there yeah it's
0: a it's a thick one so i like i like the idea that you you know knocked it out at least a page a morning like i love to hear that process wait what what was the point of doing the um Uh, is the idea like, do you, I mean, I remember reading, what is it, Stephen King's on writing and he, you know, he had to put his desk at a certain place and try to write a certain amount every day and everything. But like, uh, for you, like what, what was the method behind the madness of wanting to do in the morning? Is it to capitalize on like the dream sleep imagination or just more or less like to, to, to hold yourself accountable to get a page done every day?
1: (laughs) Yes. That's the latter is exactly the reason to make sure I wrote one page to get, to get it going. Um, Stephen King writes really fast and writes all day. He's got his big picture of ice water, he says, and blah, blah, blah. He just writes fast. I, I don't really, I write my, I would say I, I write more carefully than he does, although I'm a big fan of Stephen King. So I read all his books, <laughs> but I do say my writing's very careful. Um, It's just, it was just, and it's not, no, it has nothing to do with dream. it has nothing to do with morning is just because it's written before noon. Sometimes I'd be writing at 11. I just was, I wrote the first, first, uh, 200 some pages when I was in Hawaii, my house uh, on Oahu. And so, uh, I don't know, it, just, it was just writing before noon. I had to write before I ate, so that's why it's in the morning. I had to write before I ate. And sometimes I was very hungry. So, for example, if the previous page ended, uh, it had, like so, let's say, uh, 32 lines, and then, and then i pick up at the bottom of that page and go, then I had to reach line 32 on the next page. So I'm counting down. How many lines do I have to do? Fifteen. Okay, now we got fourteen. Now I've got ten. I got six. Come on, come on, get something. Three, two. Good. Now I can go eat. You know, with the visions of ham sandwiches floating in front of me or something. You know, super. That's hungry. like the
0: carrot that you're working towards. That exactly. Ham, That's ham exactly
1: ham. how it works. Exactly.
0: <laughs> are you a are you a coffee drinker? Like, is that part of nope. the morning routine or no?
1: No, 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 no. You cannot have. In, I could not have. In, I don't drink coffee anyway.
0: But um, I could have a coke or something. But I
1: don't. Uh, no, I never. I could not eat or drink anything till that first page was done. And, and I found it to be, I've never done it before. And I really haven't done it since Uh, I'm writing the sequel to uh, Metropolis right now called under city is a different kind of book, very complicated, but um, I, I've never, I never did it before. and I've never done it since, but it did work for this book. Um, And I don't uh, more, more amazing is that the, is that I didn't have any plot or any outline. I knew where the book was going to end because of where it begins. Uh, that line about the airships. But um, I don't, no, I don't. And it wasn't supposed to be 668 pages. I thought it'd be like 400. The last part of the book is the longest and I thought that would be the shortest. So uh, I couldn't tell because I, if you don't have a plot, I mean, if you haven't have, make no outline, well, I didn't plot the book up, but I, uh, I just made, I literally made the whole thing up as I was writing it. And it's hard to explain it like that, but it's, I had, I just sensed a sense. It just made the whole thing up. So everything worked. It's like the muses were whispering to me the entire nine months I was working on this.
0: <laughs> it was either the muses or the ham sandwiches at lunch waiting, yeah, I know. calling I your name. Know. That's fascinating jerky. to me. No food or coffee or any sustenance before. You got to just get it all out on the page. That's great. Yeah. I love that. That's discipline, man, my friend. um yeah. Tell me about sort of like, um, you know, growing up, were you, did you write growing up a lot? I mean, uh, we can pivot into maybe some, you know, your dad memories and, and before we end the interview, but like real quick, does you growing up, I want to know about like, were, 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 were you always a, a writer or did you try doing the cartoon stuff like dad? Or did you want to always write?
1: Uh, no, I didn't write at all. I, I remember writing some kind of short story, uh, sort of a, um, uh, a knockoff of HG Wells first man of the moon thing, but I don't remember. Maybe it's like one page or something. No, I would not consider myself a writer. I was a reader. I liked reading, but I read popular culture things like my dad. I read, I read HG Wells, Jules Verne, Ray Bradbury. I read the comics. I read the, those Tintin comic books, uh, which I really liked. And uh, I read dad's stuff when it it came into books and he'd bring it home and I'd sit down in in an easy chair and read the whole book. Um, and uh, watch movies with dad. He always went, when W.C. Uh, uh, Fields would come on, we would watch him, you know, and uh, uh, so. <laughs> like, yeah, it's more a, like it's a gift culture.
0: to know, my little chickadee and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was also,
1: exactly. And then I was also a fan of, uh, I read history. I read a lot of history, which interested me. No, I didn't become a writer until I was in college. And I was right. I started writing as a songwriter, writing lyrics. And then, uh and then dad saw I had a, a gift for, poetic language and so he shifted me straight to carl sandberg and uh eddie masters um spoon bear anthology had me read uh joan didion and uh and john steinbeck and thomas wolf he was a, a huge thomas wolf fan uh, of time in the river and uh and so then i i started making that shift from song first from songwriting to poetry to then prose and wanting to write a great american novel which I think I did with my novel Crossing Eden. It's 1,086 pages set in the spring and summer and fall of 1929. And dad's voice is in there and a lot of stuff. That, that book took me 12 years to write. Um, so um, I didn't have any writing schedule like I did for Metropolis. Um, so, yeah, that's, I didn't know. I, I didn't, um, in fact, in fact, to make it even clearer, um, the Monty of, 19, of 20 years old would never have read these books that I've just written. I never read them. <laughs> It didn't interest him. I wouldn't have been interested by those books at all. wouldn't really, I don't think if I, especially as a teenager, I don't think I would even understand. I didn't read, I read science fiction, you know, yeah. short stories and then Bradbury, which I really liked. He's one of my favorite writers. Um, but yeah, that's what I read. Uh, um, growing up in that household with uh, music and books. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you were born just to, to time stand, but you were born in 52, right? So that, yeah. that gives me a sense of the authors you're throwing out. That makes sense. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. uh your dad was born in what charles m schultz was what 1922 30 years earlier in uh minneapolis but grew up in in saint paul um gosh his mom died young and then he went drafted into world war ii uh so he 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 lived a a lot of life i mean you're talking about war and stuff in metropolis but your dad was living some of this some of this stuff um but yeah reminder listeners really quick uh, and you've been really generous with your time but like you know real quick about how how we broke in um to writing the peanuts gang it started as Little folks, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, but Dad was an artist. Uh he went to he was a big fan of comic books. His his nickname, Sparky, was given to him uh when he was uh, really, really young, uh, named after Spark Plug, the horse in the Barney Google comic strip. And of course he died three hours before his last strip ran in the newspaper. So his entire life was uh was um, um spanned by the cartoony art uh yeah. framed by that. So um no, uh, dad. Dad loved uh, comic strips. That's all he ever wanted to do was be a syndicated cartoonist, and uh, so he did live the dream he had. And and it, his dream had nothing to do with being famous either. Not but if he had been in two newspapers, he would have been uh, okay with that. Uh, but he he went from um, yeah after he got out of World War Two, he he got a job at uh, um, art instruction. In uh, I think it was I don't know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, whichever, somewhere in there, and uh, and then after, and he was submitting comic strips, and um, at one point he I guess he said he was uh, he had had a comic strip and, and he went and saw one what one, one of the other cartoons was drawing and he went back and and crumpled his up and threw it away and started over. So, um, but he was very talented um, uh, with the pen. He could do He could draw a lot of things. He could draw everybody else's comic strips too. He was very good at that. So. Um, that was his passion. But I and I am and so I am doing what he wanted to do and then and therefore wanted me to do, which is to write books, write long form prose, which he couldn't do. Um, when he had to write captions or little paragraphs in, in books about himself or the strip or whatever, he's he told me he found it agonizing <laughs> just to just write three paragraphs was ag- agonizing because he's so used to writing in single panels
0: single that's so fascinating to me you're writing these epic novels and and your dad you know could could tell a, you know funny stories but you know memorable stories in just a one panel comics it's funny the the different mediums you guys but but it's like it seems like opposite ends but you you know grew up in the same house um well, that's really cool. sorry, my dog just walked in. You want to say hi to Snoopy, <laughs> Snoopy's uh, son over here, a nephew? <laughs> um, uh, well, very, very cool. Well, grow, growing, up, did you did you have any did you have any favorite Charlie Peanuts characters? Were you a Snoopy guy? Were you Linus and Lucy? What what was your jam?
1: I liked uh, Linus because of how he could do do all these tricks with the blanket. But as I got older, uh, my favorite character was Charlie Brown. Because he's the most intuitive, I decided that I decided that that the story of Peanuts is really Charlie Brown's story. If mm-hmm. he were writing the narrative, if he were, if it were a novel, he would be the, the first person narrator. It's his story. And Charlie Brown, you know, they make him out as the lovable loser and like that. But but if you read the early books, you realize he wasn't. He was the king of the neighborhood. He played all the jokes and he did all this. And then and he had his two friends, Shermie and Patty, and uh, and then and then uh, and the little dog Snoopy. And then uh, Violet came into the neighborhood and Violet sort of sided with Patty against Charlie Brown now and then, you know, mock him a little bit. And then all the younger kids uh, came into the neighborhood. Lucy with her little brother, um, Linus, and then Schroeder came in. And then the older character, his older friends, Charlie Brown's older friends, Violet and Patty and Shermie left. Mm. And now he's in a neighborhood with all these younger kids. In other words, his contemporaries have gone. And, uh, but I admire uh, him. He's the most philosophical He's the most dedicated, right? He stands on the pitcher's mound in the rain waiting to play. Yeah. It doesn't matter how often he loses, whether it's in checkers or baseball. He he understands the important part is just to take place. Life doesn't happen without you. And uh, so he's the one that I end up, uh, as an adult, I appreciated more. the Linus, who seemed kind of silly. I understand why I liked him when I was younger, but uh, then later on, uh, now I like Charlie Brown better.
0: That's a good point. And I never really thought about that because, yeah, in pop culture, you think of, you know, Charlie Brown and the football and like he's getting and even the song, why is everybody always picking on me? But to your yeah. point, you just illuminated something. He's all he's sort of that the the um North Star. He's the moral compass. And, you know, even in like the Christmas special, he's the one that's saying, you know, I'm not going to let this, you know, commercialism ruin my Christmas. He He's the he's got got it all figured out. He's, uh, the others have to catch up with him. Um, yeah. well, sp- speaking of that, I just, that's just dawned on me The Christmas special was CBS in 1965, Vince Guaraldi trio music, all that stuff. Iconic, iconic. But so you would have been what, like 13. Do you remember watching? Like, I want to know, like, you're, you're like an early te- preteen teenager watching that on TV with your dad, or how does that actually happen?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So first dad became, he became famous in popular culture because of three things: the uh, Determined Productions uh, book uh, "Happiness and Warm Puppy," okay, done by Connie Boucher. I remember meeting him when we were little, I probably eleven till twelve years old. And yeah. Then, um, and then Clark Gesner's uh, "Good Man Charlie Brown," and Clark Gesner came to our house and played some of the songs for us. So I remember, I remember hearing uh, "Supper Time" and "Your Good Man Charlie Brown," and uh, and "Happiness," okay, and then followed yeah. by uh, uh, "Charlie Brown Christmas," which for me when i first saw it because the animation and the drawings are not dads they didn't i i said oh well that's not that good they don't even look like the characters i mean yeah (laughs) because they're different animations different right so uh um that was my i didn't i don't really i didn't because that reason i didn't I, i i thought it was amusing i didn't really love it the one i loved was uh the next one where um uh i think great pumpkin great pumpkin i like that because then you have the red bear flying around and snoopy and blah 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 i really like i really like that also i'd already gotten used to the idea that the animation was going to be different it wasn't going to look like dad's characters exactly the way he drew them but um but but because people ask me what was it like growing up with a famous father but again what i'm telling you is that he was not famous when i was uh he didn't become famous till i was probably in my mid-teens Right. Uh, I when I was in sixth grade, uh, one of my classmates talked about telling me about oh, he really liked reading peanuts. And I was really shocked. Really? You know about that? <laughs> it's just something my dad did, and I, I didn't read it in the newspaper. I had no idea, I had no conception at all of uh, what the level of popularity was. And it wasn't again, he was not famous at that time. It was those three things happiness as a warm puppy, your good man Charlie Brown, and I remember us going to rehearsal for that in San Francisco. And then uh, and then of course the Charlie on Christmas. And then it became everywhere right in the pop culture
0: so wait it wasn't syndicated because uh, i mean i it wasn't the comic strip wasn't syndicated i mean it was i thought we right. had it in the washington post starting in like 1950 sure. wasn't it sure but it's still in the newspaper so okay something newspapers is
1: not going to necessarily make it uh True. i mean mickey mouse wasn't super famous because he's in the newspaper right? right it's because of the, the movies right right uh, and same with the uh, with peanuts and, and uh uh, all of them are sort of like that. I think they made a show. they make a show, a Little Abner, and, and the same same sort of thing. Uh yeah. you, you have to come. You have to come out of the funny papers into the popular culture <laughs> to really become become more uh, uh, more famous. So, uh, sure, he was a newspaper, but I, as I said, I didn't read him in the newspaper. I would wait till the books would come out, right, and then and then read them. And uh, and now I read them. to just remind me of being young, and uh, and uh, mind, it remind me now that. Dad's gone. It's really depressing. I go to, the, I'm doing a book signing at the Charles M. Schultz Museum in Santa Rosa on on April 30th. And uh, it's a really beautiful museum and I like it. But it also, to me, is, it feels like the Charles M. Schultz Mausoleum. It just reminds me very simply that he was dead and we were really, I was really close to him. And we yeah. used to talk yeah. on the phone all the time. And he said he really liked when he could finally, finally talk about books with his son and share books and, and suggest right. authors. Um, So we had a conversation finally, which was at least for a few years before he died.
0: Wow. Yeah. You you lost him in what, 2000, I guess it was? Yeah, Yeah, 2000.
1: So he's only, I mean, you know, fortunately I go to the doctors all the time, but he was, uh, that's only, you know, he's only, he died five years older than I am now. Wow.
0: Hopefully not bringing back too many bad memories. I wanted to bring it up as a chance to remember him. And, you know, what? well, what else be, beyond the books or, or even being P- everyone talks, probably ask you peanuts questions. But what else, What else did you like getting into with, with dad? Did he was did he watch sports? Did he what what other movies did he like that weren't related to cartoons or, you know, I don't know what what was he what was he sort of like? Well, we we uh,
1: so what dad and I are most interested in was sports. We played baseball together all the time. You oh, know, nice. we would throw, we'd play, not only just playing cash, but we'd have games of plastic ball, you know, and pitching, <laughs> pitching, hitting. And uh, uh, Minnesota eating, Twins fans or? Uh, that was before that, before the Twins were even in Minneapolis. I think they were still in, uh, they're probably, well, yeah, probably around that time they came West or they came you know, from DC to, uh, to Minneapolis, uh, to Minnesota. Uh, no, that's what we did. And it's funny because in um, David McHale's biography of my dad, he, he, he makes a comment that dad, Dad was sort of this cold, um, dedicated artist, not a lot of time for his kids, which is completely false. And David even knew that. We talked for six years to him. Like dad, for example, took me out of uh, elementary school to take me to see game six of the 1962 World Series, Giants and Yankees at Candlestick. Whoa, right? you and, were uh, there? Yeah, I actually saw Roger Maris hit a line drive home run over the right field. Of the fence. Uh, it, the, the Giants won that game, but I saw uh, um, a Whitey Ford on the mound and Maris wow. hit a home run it was really great I we were, dad and I went to baseball games all the time we'd go to double headers wow. I saw the three alou brothers in the uh, in the outfield at the same time uh, I watched a game where Willie McCovey hit three home runs wow. I got to see Stan Newziiel cool. play and all this because dad we'd go down for double headers we'd go down early in the morning it was maybe a 60 mile drive from Santa Rosa and we'd get there in time for batting practice then we watch the game then we'd sit around have hot dogs in between games and see the second game watch and, and then drive home again. Um, so, and dad would play tennis where he played paddle ball and played ping pong. And, uh, dad was fully involved in our lives. And even in the end of his life, he was in the stands at our ice arena watching me, his, uh, what, uh, 50 uh, year old son playing hockey in a league. And that was past his bedtime, but he was there watching me play. You still played uh, hockey.
0: So, you're a hockey player too. You're, you're, you can do it all. I'm <laughs> multi-talented.
1: <laughs> I played hockey for years. I've played a game now in 15 years, but I was out. I was out with the stick and puck about uh, a month ago and, and I was getting my game back and I can skate. I could skate and handle a puck like a national hockey League player. It's was a really good sport for me. I just stopped playing because I don't know a different circumstances, but then I, I tripped over a footstool in my sitting room upstairs at my house. And, and, uh, have a, a sprain my the medial collateral ligament in my right knee so the <laughs> orthopedist just told me yesterday i can't skate for two months so oh, uh, and i hadn't been on for a long anyway but no dad dad um uh, he loved sports and popular culture uh and he loved music so he loved everything from eddie arnold to class to to um beethoven to uh, crosby uh, uh creeds clearwater revival you know william the poor boys he liked that so, uh, um, it, it, so there was a lot of involvement. I don't know why David McHales and Harper Collins decided to portray dad as this distant person, didn't have friends. and wasn't involved in his kids' lives, but it was completely false. He would get up and cook his breakfast and take us to school in the car um, and pick me up and after school sometimes and listen to music. Uh, um, so um, yeah, it just—it was kind of strange thing to say, but he was it was—he was a really fun dad. As I can tell you, he was a really fun dad. And uh, um, actually, it's funny because some some reviewer saw me say something about how uh, we had a great childhood, and this person writes the Schultz kids probably didn't even know what a terrible
0: childhood they had.
1: Okay, well, <laughs> what? Where are Yeah, you
0: it's, like, it's like it's uh, like I lived it, dude. Well, who are you to <laughs> say?
1: <laughs> You're hearing somebody who didn't even know, Dad. Yeah, you know, David just wrote the book. He never even met dad. Okay. And he interviewed everybody. He just disregarded everything that people said about dad.
0: Uh, I'm glad you're able to come on interviews like this and set the record yeah. straight a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, we want wonder- to. Uh remind everyone to pick up a copy of metropolis monty schultz's latest novel is sixth novel um check it out now and i'm glad um now that it's finished i'm glad you can you know get your 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 ham sandwich and, and <laughs> you don't have to go hungry all morning waiting on oh but no, you're writing the sequel, so i guess you're back to not eating again i know i know i know <laughs> but okay. hey thank, thank you, you so this was so much fun chatting with you thank
1: you appreciate it okay all right be well bye, bye. okay bye-bye